0: And welcome to episode two of Talking Law from Women in the Law and Business UK. I'm Sally Penny, a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester. I'm also the Joint Vice Chair of the Association of Women Barristers and the founder of Women in the Law and Business UK, an organisation which is passionate about supporting the next leaders in law and encouraging career progression through professional development. Thank you so much for all your feedback about our launch episode earlier this year. We really appreciate you taking the time to rate and review the podcast as it helps other people to find us. So thanks again. In just a moment, this month's guest, Cherie Blair, Queen's Counsel, CBE, will be discussing the personal memories of her extensive career and the biggest challenges she feels the profession has ahead of it.
1: Though there were women in my pupillage chambers, Two to be precise, I didn't, through the entirety of my pupilage, yes. ever see a woman speaking in court. So that meant it was quite difficult for me to work out how a woman's voice should sound in court, if you like.
0: But first, a roundup of what's being happening in the world of women in the law and business UK. Our annual dinner is on the 14th of March. Our speakers are Lady Hale, President of the Supreme Court. Dr. Helen Panker, CBE. She was honoured in the Queen's Honours list. Mrs. Justice Bobby Chima Grubb, who is the President of the Southeastern Circuit. And finally, Dame Laura Cox, who is the author of the review into sexual harassment in Parliament. But more about what's being happening. We launched in Scotland and our next Scottish event is on the twenty fourth of April on Well Being. We have launched a Women in the Law Charter. You can apply for that if you go online. We've held numerous well being events in Manchester and Leeds, and we're delighted our next well being event is in Manchester on the third of April and is about financial well being and will be held at the Mulberry store in Spinningfield and that is kindly sponsored and hosted by close brothers finally we partnered with March for Women celebrating 100 years of Women in the Law the anniversary which is this year upon the invitation by Helen Pankhurst and I got to meet global icon Annie Lennox and David Tennant and It was just a great opportunity. And of course, Lady Hale was one of the fantastic, fantastic speakers uh, talking about the rights of women and the evolution of the law for women. We've also engaged with hundreds of students through our essay competition and through speaking at universities and schools. The winner of the essay competition will be announced at our annual dinner. And we have spoken at Cambridge University, Warwick, St. Andrews, Manchester and so many more, with a focus on engaging with women lawyers and men very early on. Save the date for our annual conference, 15th of November, at DLA Manchester. And if you want to join us, we'll be going to visit the Houses of Parliament on the 25th of April with a round table, a tour, and an afternoon tea. Ooh, and a final thing, we've got a coffee table book celebrating 100 years of women in the law. If you want to know more about it, do email us. And for all the stuff I've mentioned, please go to womeninthelawuk.com. Now to this month's interview. Cherie Blair is a leading Queen's counsel and committed campaigner for women's rights, as well as a lecturer, writer and founder of the Cherie Blair Foundation for Women. I asked Cherie what attracted her to the law in the first place.
1: Well, I think it was probably down to the influence of my grandmother who was always very interested in affairs of the world and what was going on. And in particular, she was fascinated by a woman QC called Rose Howbron, who was yes. the first woman QC and happened to come from Liverpool, like obviously my grandmother and I do. Yes. And she, when Rose was very famous in Liverpool and in the early days, my grandma used to go and watch her in court during the, the, what we call then the sessions. Yes. Um, and she was very famous because she was the first woman to uh, defend someone on a murder charge. I mean, she was the first woman to become a recorder. She, she did so many amazing things. And of course, the first woman, Goosey. And so my grandma was very fascinated by her and I think it must have rubbed off on me. Yeah. And then more... Uh, otherwise, I, I remember when I was thinking what I should study at university. My then boyfriend's mother at the time said to me, "Oh, Sheree, you know you, you like an argument. You're good, at, <laughs> you're good at debating. Why don't you try the law?" And so I thought, "Why not?"
0: That's, that's wonderful. Um, and and so would you say that um she was your role model, your grandmother,
1: or Rose? Uh, I just wondered who were your role models. Well, uh, Rose was obviously one of my first, uh, legal role models if 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 you like but yes, yes of course uh, my mother and my grandmother were very influential to me not least because both of them were very strong women who left school at the age of 14 and who were the um, bedrock of their family for sure and uh, my own mother of course after my father abandoned us when I was eight she had to pick herself up and, and find herself a job you know in order yes. to support her her children and that in turn made me understand the importance of a, of a woman being able to earn her own money and be able to stand on her own two feet because you never know what the, the world may throw at you. Yes, and that, absolutely. In the end, led to me setting up years later in 2008, my foundation for women, which, uh, which is-, is about <laughs> helping women entrepreneurs in the lower middle income countries to develop their businesses. So the whole thing sort of comes
0: full circle. Full circle. Well, I'm I'm going to ask you a bit more about that a bit later on, actually. Can I just ask, um, just before we get to there, um, when you became a barrister, there was a tiny minority of women in similar roles. Uh, And I I just wondered, what challenges did that offer? Uh, And did you ever feel your voice wasn't heard?
1: I think that um, I was very young when I became a barrister. I, I was... Only 21 when I was called to the bar, which, you know, ridiculously young Wow. and probably wouldn't happen these days. So for a, for a long time, you know, I was often uh, mistaken for the um, secretary from the office rather oh. than the actual barrister. Crikey. But you're right. There were very few women called to the bar. In fact, when I was called to the bar in 1976, it was the first time that the number of women, Court to the bar went into double figures so that was a, a sort of milestone that i was not aware of at the time but became aware of later on i think the main thing was that though there were women in my pupilage chambers two to be precise wow. um i didn't through the entirety of my pupil pupilage my my training my on the job training if you like yes. ever see a woman speaking in court really um and you know there weren't that many women and uh the cases i was doing with my pupil master derry Irvin, well they he was always against men not 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 women so that meant it was quite difficult for me to work out how a woman's voice should sound in court if you like
0: wow so did you just sort of you know just you were just yourself um
1: well i think also i i realized a derry is a is a very large larger than life figure and his approach to um, cross examination was often very much like a bull in the china shop, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember a case when he where he he was against Lord Bingham, well Tom Bingham then, and uh, in those days I think neither of them were QCs, or maybe they were both just QCs, and so I saw Derry cross examine this witness um, as a like a rhinoceros or. And then Tom Bingham came and he, I thought, was much more subtle and much more like a snake. And I decided that uh, (laughs) given my age and size, a snake was probably a better role model for me than to try to be uh, a bull.
0: Well, can can I ask you then a bit about... um well-being and wellness at the bar. There's a big movement at the moment to advocate well-being and wellness at the bar. Uh, and so I, I, I was just wondering, how did you deal with the pressures that being a barrister presents? You've got a family uh, like I have, and certainly for that era. I just wondered if you, you know, how you got through it, and if you had maybe, I don't know, any, any
1: tips? Well, I very much support the the the, the recent efforts to advocate mindfulness and well-being at the bar because it is a very pressurised profession yes. um, I think in some ways I was quite lucky because when I started in the 70s, mid to late 70s there was a boom in, in the bar in relation to legal aid work there was money available to, for the new kind of, of work that I was able to get into the public law work, the employment law work um, and you know, one was paid reasonably well I mean yes. today I think a lot of the pressures particularly on those who do legal aid work in the bar are due to the fact that there is real financial pressure um, particularly for those just starting off and yes, that in itself of course is very very stressful
0: Yes absolutely and, and of course it entail access to, access
1: to justice um, and- Yes and makes, and makes a problem I think for people like me coming as I did from a family that had no connections I was the first person in my Family to go to university. Um, you know, yeah. we had no private money to support me. Um, so I supported myself and I was able to do so thanks to um, scholarships from Lincoln's Inn
0: yes. alone,
1: um, the fact that I could work part time at the Polytechnic of Central London, wow. uh, and the fact that actually, you know, though it took some time for the money to come in, at least there was money coming in. Yes. And that's, all those things are, are not so easily available to today's young bar and I think it creates a real problem not so much for, for diversity not so much between men and women but between those with extra resources and those who don't have them
0: Absolutely, I couldn't agree more, um, certainly social, social mobility. Um, and can I ask then in sort of the early days and now, how you coped with um, sort of professional disappointment, if you like, if a case didn't go your way. Um, uh, can you remember how you sort of coped with it or, or anything of that sort?
1: I think, to be honest, t- that in those days, the judges were often a lot more um, unkind than they are today. Now, I know that um, there's recently been Uh, studies showing that there still are some bullying judges and my daughter is a a junior barrister oh right i know know that that does happen but uh, certainly in the higher courts um i think in the high court and the court of appeal many of the judges were, were often very uh severe on particularly young young barristers and you know sometimes it was uh, you know, difficult to remember you answered cry Crying court. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I never know. did though. But it's, um, it's. Um, I think that generally and certainly in the higher courts, the judges are much uh, better behaved than, they, than than they ever were. Yes. But, you know, it, was, it was a great. It was a great training in those days. Doing as I did, general common law, so I could do crime. I would do family. I do personal injuries, and you would just have wig would travel around the country and you would just plead your case and you would make mistakes and you'd learn from them
0: yes absolutely but it was
1: also I I can remember going uh, over to uh, one circuit going off from London and going into the robing room very early on in my career and they're all falling silent because they thought what is this woman doing in this robing room you know and she must be a secretary and you know then when I sort of brought out my my robes, and they realised I was actually going to robe in there. There was sort of consternation. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Nowadays, you don't get that. I think that the one thing is that you are often, you know, there's there's plenty of women at the bar now, which is a good thing.
0: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, can I ask you then about? you answered this earlier? But does the law in the you know in the UK still have an issue with diversity, gender? racial uh, and social mobility um, and really I was interested in in maybe your views about how we remedy that and the work the women in the law UK are trying to do is great in encouraging those specific areas of a side of gender but do we still have a, that big issue um, with not just gender, but racial and, and social mobility, because entry levels. Well, I think levels- I,
1: I think the statistics speak for themselves, don't yes, they? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, both both in relation to to gender, where where we see a real improvement, and you know, forty percent in the bar, fifty percent in the solicitors' profession entrance. But then when you look at the senior levels, you know, down into the twenty percent, which yeah. says. To me and i'm sure to you that we're still not doing enough about work-life balance and how to support women through maternity and i feel very strongly that this should not just be about women this is about parental leave and yeah, it's yeah. about how we support both men, men and, and women, and women. women. yes be- absolutely. being uh, being parents uh, because uh, it's not good for the men either if all they do is work 24 hours a day and never see their families and children and uh So I think work-life balance still remains an issue and uh, we need to talk about that. And uh, some of the the recent proposals about late sittings for court, weekend sittings, um, are good in one way in enabling courts to be accessible, but they do have a knock-on effect in relation to the work-life balance of those who work in the courts, which needs to be seriously considered.
0: Absolutely.
1: As As for race diversity, I think... Again, that is very much tied up with resources. Yes. Um, because if you're from a wealthy family, whatever your your race or colour, I think that, you know, we, we see many examples of how people can progress in the law. But the problem is that we still don't have enough support for those from uh, less fortunate backgrounds who want to go into the law. It starts very early on yeah. when you go to... Um, as I sometimes do, I go and address schools about being a lawyer and the absence of knowledge of just simple things like what's the difference between a barrister and a solicitor or what our courts do, um, particularly in, in our state sector, yes. is, is means that people don't even think that the law is something uh, for them. Yeah. Now, we've seen a, a growth in apprenticeships in the law, which I think is uh, an interesting approach, particularly for those who want to become solicitors. I say that not because I think we couldn't use apprenticeships for the bar. It's just we haven't got a system to do it. But in in the, and I think we should think about, you know, is there a way that we could also do that? But it's much more difficult at the bar because, of course, we're a profession of self-employed Self-employed,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: And that's one of the problems, I think, in relation to how do we support. The inns can do so much as they do with their scholarships. Yes. Uh, as they're doing with the move to make the uh, professional training more accessible and less expensive. Yeah. Um, but th- there is a difficulty in a profession of self-employed people, many of whom went into the profession because they didn't want to be part of a larger organization yeah. um, uh, to deal with these problems
0: yeah absolutely uh, and when you when we mentioned remedy and you talked about you speaking in schools which is fantastic do you think that's one of the remedies you know just providing information in those areas particularly in social mobility um, uh, uh, just about what the law is and the difference indeed in in the law yes
1: I, I think so and I think that certainly um, when my husband was Prime Minister and David Blunkett was uh, in education they introduced citizenship training and I was on the board or something called the citizenship foundation that had programs for making sure that school children understood about human rights understood about how our justice system works I think unfortunately these days um, both with the um, cuts to education and also the emphasis on core curriculum that sort of um, information and it's, it's, it's less available and that I think is a shame
0: Absolutely. What's the biggest challenge, do you think, facing the profession presently?
1: What is the biggest challenge for the profession, Jen? Well, I think the biggest challenge actually is what I've said before about making sure that we get diversity and that we get sufficient income so that people who have a passion for justice and and the rule of law from every uh, area of life can still come into the bar because if the legal profession does not reflect the diversity of the population at large. We're not properly serving uh, the principles of of accessible justice.
0: Can I ask you about your foundation um, and your work to support more women entrepreneurs in in developing Mm -hmm. countries?
1: Uh, Well, I I can simply say that, as I mentioned before, because of the lessons I'd learnt both through my mother and through my own life of um, having been able to make my own choices, I realised that women who have... Their own money can make their choices they can walk away from abusive relationships they can say no to uh, pressures that society might put on to them to conform and they can become leaders in their community absolutely and i felt that uh, across the world particularly in lower middle income countries where the societal pressures um are perhaps are stronger yes that if we could help women entrepreneurs set up and grow and expand their businesses so that they employed other people so that they got respect in their community and that they could be a voice for change. And so for the last 10 years, the Cherie Blair Foundation for Women has supported women in over 104 different countries and we use technology to reach those women. So we have a global mentoring platform, which is an online uh, mentoring relationship, which enables us to put women in the UK and all over the world and men as well in touch with women entrepreneurs all over the world And they give a year of uh, two hours a month supporting those women and helping them uh, achieve their business goals. And then we also have uh, programs where we use mobile phone and the internet to provide business training and skills to women, plus um, the ability to uh, network with other women in similar situations. And so because of that, we've reached 140,000 women that's amazing. As I say, in over hundred countries across the world, and we have big, ambitious plans for the next ten years, including extending our work into uh, helping young girls from 15 onwards. Who um, a recent report by Plan International shows that of the 628 million young people between 16 and 25 who are neither in education nor in jobs the vast majority of them are young girls and one way it's not the only way but one way of helping them um start off and 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 stand on their own two feet of course is to help them set up their own businesses and that's one of the things that we hope to do uh with our programs in the future and we've been very lucky just recently having a partnership with avon fantastic who have uh, reach 100 million women a year with their not only through their sellers, but also through their supply chains and the women who are their customers. And we're going to help uh, provide business training and advice to women through that network, which will be fantastic.
0: That is awesome. Well, I'm sure our listeners will be keen um, to uh, go on the website and donate to support in any way that um, we can.
1: Oh, yes, Um... www.sheriblairfoundation.org.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, Can I ask you then, Cherie, sort of two more questions, really? Um, If a young person was uh, considering a career in the law today,
1: what advice would you give them? My my advice would definitely still be go for it. And the advice I give when I go to schools is if you think you want to be a lawyer, I always advise them, and the schools don't often always encourage this, to take a law degree. Why? Because at least for the law degree, there are loans... Uh, available, and therefore you you avoid the extra cost of doing the law conversion course because for which you don't get the same sort of support and help. And if you've got limited resources, um that's an important consideration.
0: and uh, we always ask everybody this. What's your favorite? Who's your favorite fictional lawyer? and why? well,
1: um i I, I enjoy I'm a bit of a sort of groupie for reading. Uh, Uh, crime novels and at the moment I'm reading some novels by um, a Swedish author called Asa Larsson and she actually was a lawyer herself in fact she was a tax lawyer by profession and she's invented this uh lawyer called Rebecca Martinson and her uh she's got four books I think about that and I've been enjoying reading those stories set as they are in, in Sweden and so a bit scandi-noir about, about them and also about this woman with her struggle first as a, as, a, as a commercial lawyer in the capital and feeling disillusioned with the pressures of work there and then going up to the north of the country and ending up as a, as a prosecutor.
0: Wow. Well, you know we've got a women in law book club, so
1: we've got to read all of those. We yeah, right you, should, you, should look, you should look them up. You should look them up.
0: What a joy to listen to a true trailblazer and inspiring woman in the legal profession and beyond. That was absolutely brilliant. We really enjoyed having uh, Shri on. Huge thanks from us. I'm Sally Penny. Please do leave us a review or a comment. And of course, we'd love you to subscribe. The next episode will be with you on the 7th of April. Until then, do check in and see what we're up to on LinkedIn, Twitter and womeninthelawuk.com. This has been a What Goes On media production for Women in the Law UK.